0: You're listening to Five Things with Lisa Birnbach.
1: Hi, this is Lisa Birnbach, and you're listening to Five Things That Make Life Better. My guest today is one of the coolest people telling stories, and lots of them, on Instagram, which is how I discovered her. Marla Aaron is now kind of a famous, I think she's IG famous, and when I hear myself say that, I can actually hear my children groaning by how uncool that sounds. But she is famous, I think. And she was interviewed in People Magazine last week about the philanthropy she exercises through the jewelry. I would say Marla herself is bright and shiny. She had a big corporate job for years and then realized she wanted to make jewelry instead. And you will hear her story and how she changed her life. and. You'll learn about her activism momentarily. I lost a very dear friend over the weekend, Janie Furse, a Texan. She grew up in a small town outside Houston. We met as teenagers at Andover summer session in the olden days. And thanks to her diligence, this is way before the internet, she found me and we reconnected during college. I introduced her to the son of family friends, a real New Yorker, John Friedman, and she married him. She ended up living in New York, which was perfect for her because she was smart, sassy, clever, feisty, elegant. Janie never lost Texas, but she was a quintessential New Yorker too, working on the rewrite desk at the Daily News and the New York Post for years. She's two wonderful daughters who have been through so much these last three years since Janie was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. She even hiked over a hundred miles on the Camino de Santiago in Spain with her daughter, Meredith, eight months after surviving a brutal surgery and months of chemotherapy. She lived to the hilt. I'm privileged to have been her friend, and I'm crushed that her life was so short. But she instructed me, no boo-hoo. I'm not crying, Janie. I just have something in my eye. I want to say something here about ambition. It's a word I've grown to dislike as, to me, this is personal. It suggests those guys with greaseback hair and ruthlessness to spare, like the Wolf of Wall Street or something. But ambition, unlike greed, is good. I used to call myself ambitious. Janie went to Columbia Journalism School to become a journalist, and she did it. She worked at it. Sometimes someone can be so good at what they do that they make it look easy, but that doesn't always mean that it is. I'm watching my exhibits, including Star and Izzy, as they progress in their chosen professions and see them accumulating successes and credits. They are ambitious, but they're not killers. They are gracefully moving up in the world and have plans. Plans are applied hope. Plans are optimism. I sometimes wonder if I'll be aged out of the loop, but an 89-year-old costume designer just won the Oscar, as did 83-year-old Sir Anthony Hopkins. So perhaps the loop is large and forgiving, at least for the talented. I want to be more ambitious now. Time is so precious. But first, the five things that make my life better. Number one, communication. I am fortunate that I can write and that I like to write. And if I have to, I can write quickly. (laughs) I can write in a boat. I can write in a moat. If inspired, I can drift into the flow, which actually feels like I'm flying. And I can usually talk. I don't take either of these things for granted. Number two, my wonderful hair colorist, Angela Cosmai. I have followed her for more than 20 years. Wherever she goeth, I goeth. She has her own salon in Greenwich, Connecticut, and also works in New York every week at Pierre Michel. With Angela, I get not only expert color, but an ally with a wonderful heart. I couldn't even begin to count the times I've cried in her chair, but never because of her work. I always look better when I see her, and I will put a link to her business on my blog at lisabernbach.com. Number three, every town for Gun Safety. How can we be the country with citizens who shoot when we get mad or get drunk or forget that our guns were loaded and unlocked in the house? How have we unlearned that we speak when we are upset and look for solutions and compromises that are peaceful and help us reconcile? Why do so many innocent people die every day in America? We have to do better. We have to raise expectations that every child, no matter how poor the home he or she grows up in, will live to adulthood. Every town for gun safety, moms demand action, Americans for responsible solutions that's the one founded by Gabrielle Giffords and Mark Kelly, the Brady campaign they are all fighting to expand background checks and make guns hard to buy. Please consider their essential work. We cannot wait for things to get worse. Number four, eating outdoors. Now that we are vaccinated and still masked up, we are, and careful, we are. Being outside at one of New York's restaurants has the feel of being at a festivity, a wedding but without speeches, a bar mitzvah but no candle lighting flowers and shrubs and fairy lights and heaters. It's pretty, and it feels kind of like a victory when I go out. New York has done very, very well since last year when we were the epicenter of the disease, and eating outside is our pleasure and our reward. And number five is the vaccine. I hope every single one of you is vaccinated or on your way to being fully vaccinated. There is all the evidence in the world that the Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson vaccines will prevent death from COVID-19. Scared of the side effects that you've heard about? They may make you feel bad for a day or so, and then boom, you're protected from this horrible, deadly disease. And not everybody gets a reaction. People are taking the first shot, but now scared to take the second shot? That's not a good idea take the vaccine. It will save your life and the lives of those you love. Coming up, the shiny and lovely Marla Aaron. Don't go away. Well, Marla, Aaron, I don't know how I first discovered you, but I discovered you on Instagram and I was self-conscious that you knew that I was looking at your site and your stories every day. It is thrilling to meet you.
0: Thank you. This is, it's thrilling for me to meet you.
1: Okay. In the guise of showing the jewelry that you make, you have shown us a persona who is wacky. I must say you're very wacky, very creative, very creative into vegetables, an activist for good. You've introduced me to black merchants, vendors, designers, and all of us. You've done incredible things for the restaurant industry and for single mothers. So you sort of cover a very dynamic set of interests and concerns, and you sell jewelry too. And this is your second career. My second career. Yeah. That I know about. Yeah. Okay, so Marla, let's start out with making a change of that kind of proportion.
0: You were an executive in publishing, I think? I was in publishing for many years, and then I transitioned.
1: Everybody I know is interested in transitions and career transitions and opportunities that present themselves. Tell me about how you made the change from executive to jewelry.
0: So I was obsessed with jewelry for always, I mean, pretty much always, I always, always, but I didn't know how to become a creative person because I didn't know creative people growing up and I didn't know how to be an entrepreneur. So all of these things were sort of like these vague concepts, but the jewelry thing I was very passionate about and my particular jewelry thing, which I believed I had an idea that was very relatable that a lot of people would be interested in this, and I really wanted to do it. I did not have the courage to do it for a very long time. I finally was on a very bad business trip in France, and I got burned. I got physically burned. I got a burn that was very bad, and I got very sick. And it sort of crystallized for me that I had to do something. I was making the jewelry on the side, spending my lunch hours like on 47th Street, bothering people. Like, literally, it was just like a relentless pursuit in my spare time and giving it away. I mean, my husband and I didn't think that I could create a jewelry company, and we certainly weren't prepared to give up my income. We had two children. And finally, this accident was sort of a turning point. On the plane ride home, I made a very funny PowerPoint presentation, which my husband says he has, and he's going to pull it out one day. I've lost. I can't find my copy, but I gave him the presentation basically saying I was going to start this company within six months. It was going to be in the top 25 jewelry stores in the country, like this whole thing. None of it turned out to be true. I was going to do everything. I was going to be home more. I was going to join the PTA because I'd always wanted to do that. And I was very jealous of the stay at home moms. there had been an ongoing thing. I was very like, I want to be a stay at home mom. So I did it. I, I hung my shingle out. It was, I would say that was about 2012, 2011 to 2012. And I immediately got terrified. This is a true story. And I was like, oh this is very complicated. I should probably take some freelance work. And freelance opportunities in my other career were popping up, communications work, marketing work. So I was doing that simultaneously. And there I was, quote, trying to start my business and doing consulting work. And at a certain point, I would say six months into that, I realized I wasn't getting anywhere on the jewelry part. Like, The other part was taking up all my bandwidth. So I sat down with my husband and I said, look, I'm really going to do this now. And he's like, well, what do you mean? I thought you were really doing it. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm going to pull the rug out. No income. I'm doing the jewelry thing. And I definitely think that that second boost, that removing the safety net, separating myself from contacts who basically didn't laugh in my face, but sort of they're like, you're going to do what? And I think there was a vision that I was going to sit at my kitchen table like beating, I think there was a lot of <laughs> visions of me beating a- and selling it on Etsy in little packaging that I would make or something.
1: And which you know, I should say around that time and from let's say 2005 on, a lot of moms were doing. Right. So that's
0: how that image formed in in people's minds and I right. think what they thought. But I knew in a way, it's a fire, right? You know, when you know, you know, and people look at you like you're crazy. People that love you look at you like you're crazy. Everyone has advice. I heard the greatest quote. It's a shortened quote from Theodore, it, Theodore Roosevelt. It's much longer, but then Bren, Brené Brown has a quote. And it's basically, if you're not in my arena, I'm not interested in what you have to say. And uh-huh. I think that's sort of how you look at it. And I was very relentless and very hyper-focused on my idea. And I have to say 10 years later, I still am. And that's when things really changed. And then there were still no accounts. I mean, the stores were not interested. I literally thought I would go door to door and sell the jewelry. <laughs> that <laughs> didn't work out that really. Didn't that didn't happen. Yeah. But what happened was my children were on Instagram. It was a real battleground social media. My sons were 12, 13 years old. And I had you know house rules around social media. That's what's so funny that they laugh at too a bit now. Like, I was like, you can't do it. Check your phone at the door. I had a whole list of things. But yet... And you've broken them all. And
1: this giant thing has happened for you. right?
0: And I asked them to teach me how to use social media. I I made them. So if you go back in our Instagram, the very first post is uh, my son upside down because he... (laughs) And he thinks that's hilarious. But yeah, I learned how to use it. And as soon as I started putting pictures of the jewelry out there, I mean, Lisa, I had nothing to lose at this point. I'd given up my career. You know, that's how I saw it. Like once I'm out, I was in my 40s. Like once I I knew it, once I was gone, I was gone. Like no one's taking me back. Wow. Salary, you know. So
1: you really had to give yourself a high stake. Yeah, in order to pursue it, because the offers for consulting and other things were too tempting.
0: Yeah, I said no more. I mean, there were some other funny instances where I flew to. A, we were given an RFP, my partner and I in the consulting uh, and we flew to another state. I'm going to just say that for a very big project. I didn't want to do it. That
1: does not want to be known.
0: Yes, Dave, that doesn't want to be known. And we were sitting there and they had done their due diligence on us. I mean, it was in a serious boardroom and the CEO of that company said, explain to me what this is. And he had found my website with the jewelry on it. And and my partner said, well, that's Marla's hobby. And he said, I know hobbies. This is not a hobby. And that was also a pivotal point. Like, what am I doing here? I don't want this. Right,
1: right. You were doing it for her.
0: Yeah. And I was doing it just because I was scared of the other thing. You know, I think when you hang your hat out, you're very vulnerable and you're very exposed. When you made the
1: decision to take this risk and a big risk, did you think that you had to take classes in entrepreneurship at Columbia? Did you think you were going to have to take classes in jewelry making? Did you take any of those things?
0: I took no classes in entrepreneurship. I read as little as possible because I find I I went to a conference that was for entrepreneurs. I went to a two-day conference and it seemed like everyone was looking for angel investing and technology. And I was like, okay, this isn't a home for me. I want to do this on my own. And you really go internal. I have to say you really go internal in terms of jewelry making. I did take classes But I realized I had taken classes several years prior because I knew painfully so that the quality and the level of jewelry I wanted to make was not going to be made by me. It was going to be made by lifetime trained, skilled artisans. And I needed to connect with those people. Like the bar was extremely high for me. My greatest pride is when a store reaches out to us and asks to see the jewelry and we send them jewelry if they're not coming to New York and we send it to them. And I always get a call congratulating me, say, Marla, the workmanship, you know, from multi-generation old jewelry stores in the world saying the workmanship is extraordinary. And that is very important to me. So,
1: so you start making jewelry that is hardware-based. Yes. Is that fair to say? Very. How'd you get that idea? Were you a natural fidgeter? Were you the woman in the hardware store?
0: Yes. Yeah. I have been the woman in the hardware store. I'm very fascinated. If you could see, there's a big cabinet next to me in my office that is just filled with junk. Well, you, you would say it's junk, but there are things that I just kind of pick up around that I just kind of gather from construction sites, from people throwing things out. I have an old elevator spring in there. I mean, I have things. I always stop. If there's a building being cleared out, you know, I stop the car or I stop walking and I ask if I can, I get a peek in there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And what do you think it is? Is it the engineering part? Is it the sort of design that wasn't meant to be seen
0: part? I think it's the utility of it. And the translation of it to jewelry is really very natural, actually especially when you think about the idea of sustaining and carrying around the things that are the little objects that are precious to you, the ability to be able to do that. And also it's metal. So you can do really incredible things with metal, like rings that open and closed. And the idea to find the application in something utilitarian and outside the jewelry world and bring it into jewelry, I find very gratifying that is the most gratifying part for me, getting to do all these, you know, bring these ideas together.
1: And when listeners go to my website at lisabernbach.com, I will link to your website at marlaarron.com and they will see that you're most famous for the locks that you've made, which are like carabiners or yeah. I guess carabiner is the only word I can think of that you use as fasteners rather than a little clip or claw. Yeah.
0: yeah. And then I don't know why during the pandemic, our DMA rings that open and close have sort of become, people have been really moved by them and have been really buying them and, and engraving personal messages in them. So those have become equally popular. And then there's our trundle lock ring that opens in the way a toilet paper roll uh huh. Uh-huh. Comes up, you know, that mechanism. I mean, not that that's what I was going for, but it was kind of what I was thinking, you know, that it's uh-huh. opening with that level of ease.
1: And that is a ring that also is a, a lock that you could put on a necklace or you could wear on your fingers. And people have enjoyed those very much. And you can have them bespoken in a million different ways. I think one of the things that makes your Instagram so appealing is that everything can be personalized and you come away with the feeling that you get to know your customers and there's a very personal connection, not only in an engraving, but with you.
0: Yes. I, I mean, I hope that's the case and I hope that's always the case and know our employees, the people who work here, because they are profoundly passionate about what we do here and their contributions. So I hope the imprint is felt the human imprint of what we're doing is felt um, cutely in our social media.
1: Oh, it is. I'm going to assure you it is. So let's talk about when you talk about passion, let's talk about your single mother initiative. Lock your mother.
0: Lock your mom
1: lock your mom. Okay. That's a beautiful thing.
0: Thank you. It's, this is our sixth year. I am very proud of it. We started it because I was a single mother until my son was six. And I always felt that there was a certain bittersweet element to mother's day when you were a single mother and father's day when you were a single dad, but on mother's day and that, you know, especially when your children are small. And there's all of this congratulatory activity going on around you. And you're with a small child. And I always thought I wanted to do something. And, and then I was wondering, well, how could you do this? Does it cross all socioeconomic? you know? And there, and there was also this inherent loneliness to being a single parent that I, I felt. Mm-hmm. And then this is funny. I was at a dinner. I was invited to a dinner that I had no business being invited to maybe the year before I started Lock Your Mom. And I was sitting at a table with a very famous person and I was terrified. I was like next to her and I was like, I have nothing in common. Like, how did this happen? Anyway, very quickly, she mentioned that she was a single mother and that the loneliness she felt. And it struck me so hard how universal that feeling of parenting alone is, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're anything in between that that. Without the village, we've set up a society here in the United States where the village is really hard to come by, you know? And when
1: you're having been a single mother for most of my adult life, when you see, even though you tell yourself, oh, it's a Hallmark holiday, or it doesn't matter, or this is just what the media is trying to foist on us, you still see families together, a husband saying to the kid, give mommy the present
0: you know, there's none of that when you're by yourself. Exactly. So I wanted to do something. I wanted it to be universal. So I felt like an exclamation point was pretty universal for the "uh" of motherhood and the struggle. And, and I said, I'll give fifty the first year, and I've tried to double it every year. Last year was pretty crazy. We were in lockdown. We were not working. Our business was shut down. My employees, we were completely shut down. The only thing we were doing was Zooming at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. just to check in with each other. And it it was around this time. I mean, it was around the time things were really bad and we would be doing our Lock Your Mom project. And I said to myself, we're going to do it anyway. So the first thing we did out of lockdown was our Lock Your Mom project last year. And I do feel I'm not a spiritual person, but I do believe that rallying us around that at that particular moment was critical to our success and our ability to move forward and get back to work and find our way forward.
1: Marla, let's just tell everybody what the Lock Your Mom is, the the thing itself.
0: If you know, love, or are a single mom, we ask you, and we're in the middle of it right now. We ask you to go to our website and nominate one, and we'll send them a lock. And this year, we're giving out more than we've ever given before. We're giving out a thousand. They're wow. Sterling silver Heart Locks. They come on an orange cord, but we think you can put them on something else. They are made right here in New York in our workshops in the same way as our more expensive pieces. It is a project that our workshops are very accustomed to the first year they were shocked we were giving jewelry away now they just know it's coming and they feel you know they lower the prices a little bit without me asking because I said I'd never ask you to give away what I'm you know this is my choice but they can't take it that I'm giving yeah. away. so there's a lot of support from our business and our employees obviously our team loves doing it so this year it's a thousand That's we always really- give away a little- More than a thousand because, you know, I can't stop. We're not going to, we can't shut it down, you know?
1: Right. So that to me is very touching. The other thing that you're doing that's newer is also about the shutdown and it's the restaurant support via a sterling silver restaurant chair.
0: So that happened because I live in East Harlem and I work on 47th Street. And I don't walk all the way home, but in the winter when I leave work, I walk away. So I walk a bit up Madison, up Third. I walk a little, and I. It was like killing me. I felt like our business had survived, you know, had survived and the the jewelry industry had managed to survive. But there I was seeing businesses throwing stuff up against the wall. Is it going to be plants outside? Is it going to be heaters? Is it going to be this? Are they going to do takeout? Are they going to be a ghost restaurant? Like I was watching the entrepreneurs who are the restaurant owners play out before my eyes, pulling their hearts out, just trying to do this. I can't to it survive. Just, it survived and it broke right. me i literally could not see this and one night i just it was early december i think it was december 3rd that was my first google search it's up there of uh, what is the most my google search was what is the most common restaurant chair in the world and a certain shape emerged and i was like let's make that chair and i thought i'd make one and see what happened and i loved the chair i talked to my team i said let's get our vending machine out let's Sell these chairs. Let's sell them on our website and let's contact World Central Kitchen because I love the mandate that they were hiring restaurants to feed the hungry. So they were paying restaurants to stay busy to feed the hungry. I'm like, that's the perfect circle right there. I, you know, I want that. So they said yes. And then I had to find a home for the vending machine and Rockefeller Center said yes. And then it was just like, Oh yeah. She makes
1: vending machines for jewelry as if that were normal.
0: Yeah. I hope someday it'll be very normal. Yes. But anyway, I will tell you that it was like a domino effect of how when you give, other people give, because I was telling the story of the chair project to one of our metal dealers and he left my office and then he called me. He's like, Marla, I'm giving you the metal for this. We all dodged a bullet. And so that means we give more money. And then one of our workshops was like, I have to do something. I want to give labor on the chairs. So people... Like said, I have it to brought be. out the best in people. And that's my fundamental belief in life. Like, that's how you bring out the best in people. It's very simple, actually. You know, you be better. That's it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. By example. Yeah. Well, Marla, there's so much more to discuss. I do urge everyone to go to your Instagram because they will fall in love with you. Wow. I mean, you're just, you're just so much fun. And it turns out my daughter, Exhibit B, has been a fan of your... I, I don't know. You have a way about not taking yourself seriously on social media. That is very winning. That's
0: all I can say. Thank you. I Um, don't take it seriously. Believe me, I I really don't. And and if I ever did, my God, my sons and my husband would shut that down quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's
1: time for your five things. And as we wrap up this interview, I just want to say that there's more to you than even this. And we'll find some of it out in your five things. So that's a pleasure to share that. So number
0: one. Number one is cabbage. As of course, of course it's cabbage. Do I talk about that for a second? I think so. Okay. I think you better. It's a remarkable vegetable. It's delicious. Let's just start with coleslaw. I mean, that's fine on its own, but cooking it and roasting it, and there's just so many things you can do with it, it's very inexpensive. You can create a perfect meal for pennies with a cabbage that is filling and delicious. And anyway.
1: Okay, time to mention The Vegetable Show, please. You have a whole other persona on your Instagram, which is The Vegetable Show, and you are kind of mad for unappreciated vegetables, aren't you?
0: I'm mad for vegetables, but this all started because during the pandemic, when that doctor in Michigan showed how to clean your vegetables and leave everything to dry, well, I lived by it, and I kept everything, and so I started doing it on the counter. And then one day I just filmed it and then I just kept doing it. And that's really what happened. And uh, on a side note, I do believe that it's hard to refute the evidence of how good a plant-based diet is for you. I struggle with that often. I am not going to say I'm fully plant-based, but I, I, the, the evidence is irrefutable. If you are a person based on fact and science, it, it is hard to refute the benefits of it
1: but you talk about how to prepare yeah. different vegetables including sunchokes excuse me yeah. i can't make sunchokes yeah you can i can barely make
0: bok choy you can make sunchokes i just learned how to even say bok choy i <laughs> you mean sunchokes you can make rutabaga you can make all of it and it's all really really good for you and healthy so anyway that's my little spiel about and vegetable show i believe i'm going to be having another episode saturday I look forward to it. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Number two. Uh, Getting dressed every day. I would say I learned this from my mother and my grandmother. And it's just, I guess it's their legacy to me. I get dressed every day. I do not care what's happening. I do not stay in my sweatpants. I get dressed. Whatever that means for anybody, I encourage them to do it. I think it's an act of grace. I think it's an act of communicating with the world who you are and how you feel. It doesn't have to do with money. Anybody can dress. And I just, it, it means a lot to me to get dressed every day, I have to say.
1: Was this particular to the pandemic that you felt like it was just
0: so easy not to get dressed? I think a lot of people, I mean, I worked from home for a long, my business was out of my home and actually employee number one would say, I mean, it was a really rough scene when she walked in for her first interview. I mean, we lived in a small Upper East Side apartment, too many pets. I think there were five cats and one dog at that point, two teenage boys, lots of sporting equipment. I mean, and there I'm starting a jewelry business. The fact that she's still with me is unbelievable. She oversees all of production, um, but she, it was a rough scene. And she said the one thing that made her think that this was okay was the fact that I was dressed. Yes. And so she thought, okay, this woman isn't just a total nut job and this isn't a disaster. But I <laughs> know oh, I understand you were ready for your date Number three. Number three is a funny husband and he is very funny and he makes me laugh a lot, mostly at myself. And I feel like this is a very, very important thing, especially that we were just locked up together for a very, very, very long time. <laughs> right? And we had a great time, uh, I have to say,
1: so. Uh, yeah, a funny husband is really a thing of beauty, I, have to, I have to say. Uh, number four.
0: Uh, writing it down. I would always tell my children when they wanted to just use their computer instead of writing it, I would say, if you write it down, you own it. It becomes yours. I forget who told me that, but someone said it to me once and I believe it. So I'm really surrounded by notebooks and I, I write down everything. Uh, and I believe it's really important.
1: You forget it. If you don't write it down.
0: Yeah. You may forget it anyway, after a certain age, I Yeah, mean,
1: you may forget where you wrote it.
0: That's true. So I write it down. I have lots of notebooks. They happen to be Hermes. I'm very partial to them. So, so there you go. And number five, number five is the most important and it is acceptance of who you are, your limitations. You can't do everything. I accept for myself and I accept for everyone in my life. And that is really the most important thing. Everyone's just human trying to do their best. Literally every single person.
1: You know what? We all have a lot to learn from you because you are a person who has posed for pictures with all the chains all over your face, which is my favorite picture. And yet you are a very serious and purposeful person. So thank you so much, Marla. Really wonderful (laughs) to meet you.
0: Wonderful. 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 And I hope we meet in person. I really do. It would be an honor.
1: Oh, for me as well. Thank you. You've been listening to five things that make life better with me, Lisa Birnbach. My guest this week has been designer Marla Aaron, not just designer, but Marla Aaron, owner of Marla Aaron Jewelry. You can follow her on Instagram as I recommend you do because she only has a hundred and some odd thousand followers at Marla Aaron. She's on Pinterest at Marla Aaron Jewelry or her website, which is MarlaAaron.com. My blog is at LisaBirnbach.com, where you'll find links and photos to all the things in this program. This podcast is produced in New York City by TheFieldTV.com. My engineers, Kevin Watkins, my team, Espresso Rucci, Michael Boco Haft, and Sam Haft. Until next week, wear a mask and act natural. Bye-bye.
0: That was Five Things with Lisa Bernbach. New episodes every Friday, if she remembers.